Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. I appreciate and, uh, that. Despite the sad news this morning of the passing of a very good friend of ours and of the community, but personally also of Gabe Pressman, the, probably the, the dean of, of New York journalists. Now, to those outside of the New York, New Jersey area, how would you describe how important he was vis-a-vis Israel? He was very important. Not only was he the one guy who would stand up no matter what the others were saying or thinking and defended Israel, spoke about Israel, spoke the truth about Israel, and would take off on a few hours' notice to go to Israel to cover a critical story if a war was, uh, God forbid, uh, any situation for decades. I mean, this man worked until recent years, and his incisive commentary, he had a huge following, a very loyal following, and um, his passing is really a, it's a sad note. He, he lived a full life, but he, um, but it still uh, reminds us of, we don't have a gay pressman around today that I can think of, Marsha Kramer, a few others who are New York area reporters who have really, who stand up on the issues, but not many. And not the way he did. Gabe Pressman passed away at the age of 93. I started, you know, it's funny, after last week's uh, update, you had mentioned at uh, some point during the latter part of the discussion uh, that there were certain archaeological digs and discoveries that you would love to uh, relate to us. And I wanted to give you that opportunity to start off today. But then, uh, and this is the reason why I insisted on beginning our segment with a uh, from an album entitled One Heart. I- I'm I'm losing patience with the news reports from certain areas of soldiers being taunted and harassed, and in some cases, I would guess, beaten uh, by mobs, um, where police have to be called in, where then the police, of course, are also uh, attacked, certainly verbally, maybe physically as well, I don't know. Uh, And I just, you know, if we could, if I knew that it would help the situation, speaking about it for the next 40 minutes, I would do that. I don't know if it'll help at all. But it's getting out of hand. The situation is intolerable. It cannot continue. And again, the community has one lever, and that is the the pocketbook. Uh, whether it's in Israel or here, you know, you can criticize. You can have sharp differences with uh, the government of Israel or with our own government, with anybody, anything in authority. And you have a right to make your voice heard and to to address it. But not to do to people going to shul in Yerushalayim, three soldiers going to shul, and then they're set upon. This is it's, it's intolerable, and it, it will only feed the divide. And uh, and then they will complain if they are you know if certain uh, people are, are treated uh, with disdain or with um, yeah, or if, if appropriate measures are taken, or or they are properly prosecuted, right. So, uh, I think sometimes, we've had these discussions a million times before during this segment, I think sometimes of what some of our ancestors, predecessors, parents and grandparents of the past would say if they viewed a situation like this in the context of what they went through in in their areas of the world being Jewish and being supporters of, quote-unquote, the land of Israel. It is it, When you think about it in that context, it makes it even more bizarre. It's beyond bizarre. I think that that uh, that lets people off the hook too easily. Just to describe this as uh, bizarre behavior, 
and uh, I don't know the answer to it, but I know that it's not acceptable and should not be tolerated by anybody. Sergeant Hadas Malko was stabbed to death near Shar Shem in Yerushalayim last Friday night. Um, am I right or wrong? I may have confused this with another story. Is this the first... Did, did ISIS, in fact, take responsibility? And if they did, would that be the first time they took responsibility for an attack on Israeli soil? Uh, I don't actually recall whether they've taken credit I, I may for, be confusing it with another story. I don't remember. But uh, it's, the, the, there's no proof yet that this was, in fact... Uh, these could be. These are ISIS sympathizers. These are not hardcore, you know, necessarily hardcore ISIS members who carried it out. But the ISIS has been operative in the West Bank and in in uh, other areas, uh, trying to infiltrate in uh, northern Israel. You know, I've reported on it here many times about you know some of these developments that that when the cells are uncovered, and again, it it, it doesn't get coverage here when uh, Israel is able to prevent, as they did, some 2,000 attacks. You know, one of the key leaders um, who's been involved in promoting the idea of negotiations uh, said to me, well, we have to give them credit. There been no terrorist attacks and, and in months. I said, but w- w- what are you talking about? There are terrorist attacks every day. They just are prevented that Israel, you know, is able to either catch them in the act or prevent the act from taking place. And... And he said, well, I don't, you know, I know that Abbas is my work. So I said to him, he bet me a quarter in the end, and I produced a 15-page report of the incident since January 1st. And again, you know, because, thank God, most are not successful. Here you had a case where, or I don't know how you define success, but they right. weren't able to be completed. Here you had one that, that unfortunately took the life of this uh, wonderful young woman, and, uh, you know, so it gets more notoriety, but it isn't because they don't try. And ISIS has, and it's continuing to, to try to infiltrate, but you have bigger dangers now with the with ISIS, with the IRGC, Hezbollah, the, the Shiite militias, uh, the Iran Revolutionary Guard that is, and the Shiite militias and others coming, uh, uh, approaching Israel's border, and uh, this is why... The road that I talked about, the Shiite Crescent, why Jordan and Israel are actually being brought much closer together, Israel providing intelligence and security uh, assistance, but the common recognition of of the threat posed by Iran's hegemony, uh, it's a much bigger threat, I think, than ISIS is. ISIS is not going to go away. They, they're in uh, Sinai. They're in other places. They'll regroup. Most of the biggest danger is that these guys are coming home as they lose territory uh, and can pose dangers wherever uh, wherever their passports allow them to go. So the, the this is um, uh, the, the the situation there. It's and it's an escalating situation because you have so many multiple opportunities. You have the Russia U.S. You have the U.S. Iran. You have Turkey Iran. You have now the Gulf with Saudi Arabia versus Iran and Turkey versus Saudi Arabia. There are so many flashpoints, any one of which could could explode. We saw in Saudi Arabia, you know, a silent coup this week, where. The crown prince was removed, and the deputy crown prince, MBS, uh, Mohammed uh, bin Salman, replaced him. Uh, and that may be good, and may be better for the West, it may be better even in terms of Israel. The reports that the, crown, the new crown prince actually had contact with Israelis. Um, but 
there is, it's such a dynamic situation right now, and it's so much in flux that anything can lead to, to a uh, an explosion. There were three, quote, fishermen, Iranians, that were picked up by Saudi Arabia uh, who said that they were on a boat that was loaded with uh, explosives and that they were, in fact, IRGC people. Uh, Iran is demanding their return, and... and uh, no matter what, almost every day this week, they've been blaming Israel for all the problems they said of Western Asia. Not just any local problems involving Israel, but everything. And the the speeches that we've seen from the IRGC commanders um, uh, talk about the global Islamic uh, um, aspirations of Iran. Mm. I want to go back to the uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman story in a second, um, but but first, just to, to to wrap up the the discussion about the uh, the murder of uh, the sergeant last Friday. Um, BBC had a headline: Three Palestinians killed after deadly stabbing in Jerusalem. You and and many others felt it was a misleading headline and a uh, and inaccurate one, frankly, the way it was portrayed. Maybe inaccurate is the wrong word, but certainly a portrayal was wrong. Um, and and I believe, based on what you've said many many times here, you don't consider it a victory when they correct it or when they uh, you know when they follow up with some type of comment because you don't feel frankly that out of context most people even you know are following that. The real victory is we can get them to stop it next time. So this happened with the BBC. What was the reaction? Someone like yourself, uh, who'd you contact and uh, and how did you make make it known uh, your opinion about their headline? Well, we did contact them, and the and many others uh, obviously wrote to them, uh, and and it's such a blatant violation. I mean, there's no way they could justify it. Although in the past, they, the New York Times, others just ignored. I mean, the New York Times headlines are not much better usually in, in this regard, and the um, you know the rare occasion when they actually apologize or, or admit that they made a mistake is one that we have to at least highlight so people see that they can be efficacious in, in bringing this to their attention. Whether they'll learn a lesson for next time uh, is, a, is a really good question, and we have never seen any evidence that that is the case. It is so deliberate, and uh, one has to believe, by virtue of the blatant nature of the, of the, um, of the distortion in the report and the, the, the uh, you know, there used to be an ombudsman at the time. I think that they, the public editor, whatever they called him, and I think I heard that they fired him. So you're not even going to get that uh, that venue for uh, demanding corrections. But the voice has to be heard. People have to raise their voices, and it does matter. There's too much competition today for the media, that for advertisers and others. They have so many choices that when they get flack about being in one media or the other, they they will they will switch or they will let them know that they are under a lot of pressure and mm-hmm. are unhappy with uh, with what they're doing. Regardless of whether they agree with us or not, they just don't want to be bothered, most uh, advertisers, with having the complaints and, and uh, right. it's an annoyance. And I, and I emphasize this um, and spend time on it because it's one of the things that everybody listening can be involved with. Not every time can everyone get involved in you know negotiations with leadership in Arab countries, but they can get involved when it comes to media sources that are portraying something completely improperly. Uh, so hopefully people will learn this lesson and and jump in um, to the discussion uh, when this happens again. In, in terms of uh, Bin Salman, so uh, the New York Times paints the picture that President Trump is probably thrilled 
with the fact that this change has happened in Saudi Arabia. Even more so, they write, than Karen Handel's Republican win down in Georgia. Is this true? Is Washington thrilled with this change? Well, I think that they view it positively uh, because the uh, you know after the, the president's visit there, um, she, he established pretty good ties with them and with the, with the king and with the, with the son. I, I think that the, they may have had a premonition about this happening because this is something that's been muted for a long time, but people really didn't believe that uh, we were going to see it quite so soon. Um, and it's the anticipated reaction, which yet could occur with the removal of uh, Mohammed ben Naif and by both those at the generation of the king and the next generation of ben Naif, uh, who don't like MBS and don't like this move where you shake up the whole uh, succession series and, and order. But it looks like they prepared well and handled it well, that so far it's been a very muted reaction and this young guy has been moving towards reforms, including about women, about other things. Uh, and so I think the president's happy. I'm not sure that he's happier about that than his win in Georgia. I think he's looking yeah, at that but, with but of great course, joy and, and, yeah, and relief. But of, but of course, the New York Times has to say that, you know. Yeah, of course. They have to paint it that so way. naive to think that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he was up celebrating over Solomon as he was. <laughs> I believe you are correct. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at com on the NachomSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. You go to their site. You can print out a 1,000 articles before Shabbos about everything happening in Israel and the Jewish world. It's jewishworldreview.com. Big thank you to our friends at onlysimplest.com who continue to utilize our content in a variety of ways as they continue to expand with plenty of great news in their news feed, aside from the great news of reporting smacho to the greater Jewish world, and we thank them. Uh, Israel has begun construction of an underground barrier to thwart attack tunnels from Gaza, and now, according to Jerusalem Post, the Islamic group, meaning Hamas, will have to decide whether to react or lose a strategic option. First of all, was this option available to Israel four or five years ago, an underground barrier? Yeah, but there are a lot of technical issues. It's also very expensive, but there are a lot of technical issues you have to overcome. Remember, you're digging many places in sand, in deep sand, right. and to and, and you, you have to go deep enough that they can't bypass you, but at the same time, uh, you want to have a system that gives you early warning and, and other things built into it so that uh, detectors and things. So it, it, I know they've been working on this for many years. There are still other options that are, are being developed, you know, for to, to detect um, the digging of tunnels when it's still on the other side. The barrier only stops it to the degree when it's on the, the it comes across the Israel border. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's still uh, there's still a lot of research, but this is essentially we know that they're building, we know they're digging. We saw the find underneath the UNESCO schools in Gaza, which has had repercussions all week uh, or weeks since it was discovered, uh, including a discussion at UNESCO and and inherently reflecting the bias of UNESCO that nobody was fired, nobody uh, no heads rolled. The fact that they were digging underneath the schools is it could not have been a secret to, to everybody. Uh, and UNESCO, of course, is meeting and on, in, in two weeks, on 
July 2nd, they're starting their meetings in Krakow, where they will take up the situation of Hebron and uh, want to declare it not only... Uh, uh, do the same thing they did to the Kotel and Kevin Rachel Rachel's tomb and to the wall and to Harabayat and Temple Mount, declaring these all Muslim sites exclusively, which they want to do with Maratach Pela, with the Patriarch's Cave. But they they also, and this is the unique twist, they want to declare it part of the state of Palestine. I saw a great headline. I can't, I can't remember where I saw it, how uh, 2.2 billion people of faith are going to be upset with the UNESCO decision. Like they're trying to alter the, the point of the headline and the subsequent uh, comments. They're trying to obviously alter history completely. And um, and we, I mean, and, and they get away with it so often. I mean, it just, just happens so often. But anyway, that the, that, was, that was what I saw. You know, they're, they're, they're changing the opinion of faith of, of two billion plus people um, with that. Um, with yes, because one should remember that this is as much an insult Christianity as it is Judaism. Correct. It denies 2,000 years of Christian history as well. Right. Um, the United Nations... Um, oh, no, go to this first, because this is on the same topic. The, the, the peace talks, the negotiations, the envoys sent by President Trump this week referring to Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt. I said, go to Israel. Uh, it, it's obvious that this issue of martyr payments is an issue. Uh, the other side is not very happy with, uh, with with the fact that they're being told to stop these martyr payments. I don't know if they're going to make any progress on that. And um, so that's the first thing. And um, and the second thing is, you know, in general, people want to know, because this came to us as a little bit of a surprise. We didn't realize that this, you know, this shuttle diplomacy was continuing so quickly after the president's visit. Uh, so, you know, people want to know, was it a success? Did Kushner and Greenblatt make progress this week? I wasn't in the talks, and they just arriving back today. And I guess we will learn more from what I've heard, though. That was not there was there wasn't uh, specific progress made. Uh, you know, they began the shuttle program the day after the president's uh, visit. Uh, they came back. Um, I, I, I hope that there is a, a plan behind it. I don't know. I don't see one emerging. But the uh, they certainly uh, did raise the issue of the continued payments to terrorism. And we hear that there is some sort of subterfuge again in the works where they'll make it a, you know, turn it over to their social welfare agency. Right. And so that's there'll be payments get, of that kind. That's what gets me about it. Like, they, don't they know if they just, you know, couch it differently or hide it a certain way, their public relations would be so much better? Well, they did it once and already, you know, and it's been exposed and the, the, there is a reaction to it. And, you know, they, they refuse to condemn the killers of Hadass, of the, the, the killing of Hadass. They, they continue in the, in the same way as, as we've seen in the past with their uh, various declarations. And they have a lot of internal problems. For one, in Gaza, there was just a poll this week that showed that 47% want, want to live under uh, the control of uh, the PA. And only 17% say, the Hamas supporters and 41% said they're Fatah, and the majority said they supported a two-state solution, although we know that in most cases it's a pretty temporary one. But the uh, but the fact that they want the PA to take over, the economic conditions there are worsening. And he, in his own, uh, Abbas, in his own uh, setup, you know, he all along has always been able to play, you know, the elder guy coming right. in and saying, oh, I have no choice. i got to pay off these people. You know, it's the way we keep things quiet. And all of a sudden now, 
President Trump, when he was there, you know, bangs on the table and said, you lied to me. You told me you're not involved in this stuff. And now, even this week again, we saw that they were they promised under all the agreements to improve the school curricula. Something, you know, we've discussed. The mm -hmm. Egyptians did it. Others have done it. And right. he, they not only refused, but the PA minister came out in support on that on that Friday of the attack, praised the the martyrs and and the uh, and and the uh, and have continued to name schools and continued to do uh, all the things that they and and in the PA educational curricula they praise the, the jihadis they talk about continuous war they talk about the uh, expendable martyrs this is what they're teaching the kids and and so the, then finally the, somebody is being held to some account, uh, even some of the Europeans and others see how blatant this this violation is. And yet, in the end, he seems to get away with it. So but, I don't know but, where the where the peace talks are going. I think the lesson they will see is what everybody else learns, and that is you can't rush this. You got to do it uh, with patience and uh, learn from the history and um, and proceed. In, 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 but in one hand, it's important to show that there's still momentum and there's still you know prospects there, which is what often the neighbors uh, want to be able to see for their own populace. But on the other hand, you can't create expectations that are not realistic but yeah you just described i think essentially the the, the arab street is not majority for hamas right 17 percent. you'd call that the arab street vote right essentially. In, gaza. This is gaza. in gaza itself right uh, can't i suspect based on that that if we polled the same people the majority likely would not be pro-martyr payments or not necessarily is the arab street are they so desperate for it that if he that if he would stop it or make an announcement he stopped he would get so much backlash that's what he says, and and certainly from the, the infrastructure, he cut off 44 of the Hamas guys about two weeks ago, and seems to have survived that. But um, uh, but he he in principle doesn't believe it. He, that that's a more fundamental problem. He, he claims that he'll have a lot of backlash and. Um, you know, to have all sorts of problems, but but we know that when they actually do these things, then they may have a temporary problem, but it's, it's not lasting, and uh, they will find ways to, to get money to the people they want to, uh, to the families and others to encourage this to continue it, because obviously they are committed to this, uh, to, the, to the continuation of it, and their failure to condemn and the failure to take steps to stop it, the, the the payments, despite the loss of funds, despite you know the overwhelming votes in Congress uh, against this. And speaking of funds, did you see the uh, <coughs> excuse me, Major General Halevi's statistics that Iran is funding Hezbollah at the tune of seventy five million a year, fifty million to Hamas's budget, and about seventy million to Islamic Jihad. They've got deep pockets. Well, they have deep pockets because they got a lot of money from the West and from us, and they're signing uh, deals all the time. How many of them actually come to fruition, we don't know. But remember, you know, the, the, the value was, uh, I don't know, $38 billion or $50 billion uh, of actual money that they, they received after the JCPOA deal. That goes very far. Yep. Uh, I, I would not buy the $50 million to Hamas necessarily, uh, and Hamas was getting a lot of money from Qatar, and now that they have stopped, they're actually turning to Egypt for, for assistance. Uh, one of the big issues, of course, one of the main issues uh, that uh, demands are made on Qatar by the Arabs is that they stop funding uh, Hamas, and some of the Hamas leaders, as you know, were, were living in Doha, in Qatar, uh, all of these years. Right. Um, the UN, and, we met, and you mentioned the United Nations earlier, uh, uh, Mr. Guterres, if that's how you pronounce it, the new Secretary General, is, 
Guterres, thank you, his mild language in a passage of a certain report concerning tests in Iran, meaning military missile tests, could complicate any American-led effort to further penalize Iran for them at the U.N. Now, uh, how soft was his language, and could it really affect how the U.S. responds to Iranian activities? It will not affect how the U.S. responds. What they were talking about is that the U.S. acting through the U.N. to try to secure you know, additional sanctions, uh, defining, and, and uh, Nikki Haley, the ambassador, is trying to get Hamas defined as a terrorist organization at the UN, and has been pushing that agenda. And when the Secretary General has come out strongly against the bias against Israel and some other things, but gave a, a bad speech in regard to the 50th anniversary quote of the occupation, uh, and uh, sometimes on, on these issues, uh, is very weak. I think after the firing of the rockets into Syria, by the way, which was a failure because of the seven rockets they fired, only one hit the base that was intended. One hit a couple hundred yards away, but three of them landed in Iraq. They didn't make the cross, so it tells you that the guidance systems, etc., are not that highly developed yet. Uh, but the the fact that they would shoot and they could felt they could do it with impunity, that it was a message to the U.S., you know, that they could hit CENTCOM or headquarters in Qadar or to the Arabs, especially the Saudi-led coalition, and to um, and as well a message to, to Syria, and they're claiming it was retaliation against ISIS for the bombing in Tehran. But I think that the agenda is a really broader one, and if you look at their statements now, I mean, literally every day a leader is blaming Israel for all of the problems, trying to divert all the attention there. But they are moving ahead, and they are continuing to eat up parts of, of Syria. And what's important is the area they fight to, the ISIS area, is critical to them because that could interfere or block falling into U.S. or Western hands. Um, their goal of building the highway from Iran through Iraq, Syria, Beirut, Lebanon, and, and to the Mediterranean. Uh, so this is a very critical area, and if the U.S., it succeeds in taking it over, or U.S.-backed militia, then that would be a, an additional problem for for the Iranians. Wow. Uh, do we call the uh, Michigan attack this week in the airport the stabbing a terrorist attack? It's certainly investigated as a terrorist attack, and I think people should, uh, you know, be reminded again and again that these attacks are taking place. <laughs> we, we too often dismiss them, and... Um, this pulls out a comb for what they are. If a guy yells Al-Akbar and yeah. uh, pulls out a knife, it's certainly terroristic, if not terror. And I and just uh, clear up for me why that story ends up in the you know in in the back pages of of prominent national newspapers. Well, it did get some. It did get attention, and certainly the electronic media did report it. I think fairly uh, uh, strongly. Um, but again, at first, you know, everybody raced out, and, and police are very reluctant to declare things terrorist. You know, it's, it's not good for tourism. It's not good for, for police forces. And uh, But you got to call it for what it is. And, and if we're reluctant to name it, you can't fight it. And you got to name who's responsible for it. And that's one of the things, in fact, Nikki Haley said about Hamas, that you have to name them and you have to expose uh, them to to be able to fight them in the right way. By the way, there was one on the UN. I meant to say that there was one positive development, yeah. something rare, yeah. that at the Human Rights Council, 
the Western democracies boycotted the annual session, you know, on on Israel, on the situation of the human rights situation in the Palestinian areas because it's such a one-sided slam. So the U.S., Canada, Japan, the European Union, they all boycotted uh, this session. And uh, I think it's uh, because it singles out one state for discriminatory treatment, etc., uh, that was a, a positive thing that we hadn't seen before, and I think in part it's because of the tone the U.S. set, um, uh, and maybe others are finally learning the lesson. Uh, today's the fi- tomorrow, I believe Ramadan ends. Today's the final Friday. Have you heard? Any- Chodesh, it ends. It's why it ends now. Yeah, final day of Sivan is tomorrow. Have you um, heard anything about uh, activities in Jerusalem today, or everything's been quiet based on what you know? From what I heard, it's quiet, but we always have to, you know, there's always an escalation immediately after uh, Ramadan and actually during Ramadan. Uh, and so hopefully this will be you know, prepared and things will be uh, will be quiet. What do you think of the whole issue of providing power to Gaza, water, etc., you know, while tunnels continue to, uh, to be dug? Should one issue relate to the other or not? Of course, we have to use whatever means to protect human life. Uh, nobody wants to see them punished. Nobody wants to see people deprived. By the way, it's the PA that demanded that they cut off the electricity, both Egypt and Israel. And there's been some restoration, but the, this is not a decision by Israel uh, to to do this. This is uh, and and they refuse to pay the bills. So you don't pay the bill, you don't get the service. Now, uh, again, uh, uh, there's always a humanitarian aspect to it. But we have to remember, they, they made choices, too. They elected Hamas. They, they are pursuing this. And the poll I read to you, cited before, I cited it because exactly because of that reason, to show that there's this unrest and dissatisfaction that could be taken advantage of if properly handled. No question about that. Uh, what do you think of this effort by Naftali Bennett to uh, have a law passed in the Knesset that you need 80 out of 120 votes to even consider any type of action on Jerusalem? In a peace process. Yeah, this, this has been tried many times before and might be able to pass now. I mean, the atmosphere is very charged and people, I think, uh, there's been a great education program in Israel where I know in the army, I think it was more than 50% of the soldiers had never visited Jerusalem. Wow. And now there are all sorts of programs that bring young people and certainly soldiers uh, to Jerusalem that they learn their own history, their own and. and feel the connection. So I think there's growing uh, a greater attachment and growing appreciation and I think Mayor Barkat has done a great job also in trying to expand and build up uh, Jerusalem and the infrastructure in Jerusalem that people today um, I, I, I don't think there's any government that would talk about dividing Jerusalem. By the way you know summer camps, many of them begin this coming week. I, I will give them though, I will give those that spend very often evenings, days, um, you know, dedicated to Israel. There are a lot of camps out there, Malcolm. I'm sure you're aware of this. That really include Israel in a lot of their summer programming. And it's the perfect time. And the, the, the problem is that I'm not sure that the counselors are capable of really talking about and, and teaching about Israel. But the but there should be. We did uh, produce. Uh, magazines for for uh, like the dailyalert.org but it was weekly for camps and unfortunately we could not get the funding to continue it but the camps were using it and the kids 
in the summer atmosphere are much more receptive, and you can do it an hour a week even. And over the course of eight weeks, you can give them the background to teach them the stuff that they don't learn during the year, unfortunately, in most schools, and, and prepare them for the challenges in the real world that they, that they will face uh, with all the lies and distortions in the media. And it, it is not diminishing either. So, we, And the, as the media expands, we have less control and less ability to respond. And by, by the way, while we're talking about the end of the school year, I just want to give a shout-out to Ephraim Stein and to, to Miriam Holmline, Ephraim Holmline, all of whom graduated, and Gabriella Bach, I think I mentioned. So we have a, Baruch Hashem, a lot of graduations, and they should all go on to... Greater Heights. Oh, you've been on the graduation circuit recently, to say the least. To say the least. I mean, my God. <laughs> every, the least. I, you'll let me know which school has the best collation afterwards. I'm curious. Uh, I don't think they're competing, <laughs> not by what I saw. <laughs> All right, finally, uh, I alluded to this earlier, and you said it last week. Is there anything specific in the area of archaeological finds or Israel's past as it relates to our future you wanted to share with us? You were just making a general statement. No, not a general statement at all. But I, I, I mean, it really takes some time to to, uh, to to discuss because there some of them are, are very serious finds. One of them is a Crusader escape tunnel in the Kinneret that wow. was uh, found in Tiberia, and the this was uh, from the time of the Crusaders uh, that was built inside a citadel. 800 years ago to provide safe passage from the fortress to the Sea of Galilee because when the Sultan and when the Ottomans came and uh, I mean this is all very critical but it's in the heart of the old city of Tiberia people will be able to see now an archaeological excavation that the Israel authorities has done it's a 21 foot long section of this of the old uh, tunnel but many things that were were found they also found stuff that fits exactly to Josephus' description of the first stage of the war in Yerushalayim. They found the ballistas, the uh, things that they used on catapults to, to shoot at, uh, at Israel. They found a whole uh, array of them exactly where the description was of where the fight for Yerushalayim took place. But I'll talk about that because that takes more time. But one of the other things is that uh, a group of Hungarian archaeologists unearthed a fortress from Herod, including a mikveh, again exactly consistent with uh, what we what we know, um, and, and and the uh, and, you know it has to have the equivalent of what of eighty three gallons, eighty five gallons. So this one is fifty four feet deep and watered. Uh, uh, the cistern, an underground cistern, that watered the the fortress. But this is across in the on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. So this was part of the series of places that uh, uh, King Herod uh, uh, built. And it's, it's, of course, it's very similar to the, to the Mikvahs that were found near the Dead Sea. And it is, uh, uh, I can go through all the statistics, but it's, it's uh, really, the, the consistency is just uh, uh, remarkable. It is and, unbelievable. Wow. And, and, and the, the point is, the Menachem, is that they're finding these things so many of them. I have at least a half a dozen of these amazing uh, discoveries uh, of stuff that, that, you know, finding the inscriptions, you know, the, the shards, pottery shards that were found usually have writing, like sort of bluish writing on the front, and they've deciphered them, but the backs were always considered blank, and I, I have one that I'm looking at right now, 
And they found out by chance, one of them put it through a spectrograph, I think it's called, or a spectroscope, and all of a sudden they could see that there was writing on the back. They, they didn't know about from 2,000 years ago. So they're bringing back all of the shards to go and examine the back. <sighs> and then on the front they found additional sentence, but with great detail about life and about things. Much of this came from, some of these came from uh, an army fortress um, in, in, the, in the south, and the, the, um, there were 20 or 30 soldiers stationed there, and it was in a direct line of sight to Jerusalem, so it was an early warning system to Jerusalem. And they're finding all these things, and it's amazing, because just think of all the stuff that will be uncovered from all the shards that have been found that they now know that they can, and hopefully will be in many cases, where they'll be able to read additional, uh, get additional insight into life then. It, to me, it's just all so exciting because all of it just proves the Tanakh. It proves our claim. It, it, it refutes UNESCO to the core. No question about it. Uh, not not to end on a negative note, but uh, maybe we should, we should unfurl some Kolakavod Latzahal banners in certain areas of, uh, of Israel. You think that's a good idea? I wouldn't mind if you did it in some areas in New York also. Yeah, not I think a bad that the, 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 the just, that just, has to come and, just, and is not coming uh, for our kids to, to associate, to understand that they're fighting every day for our lives, our lives, let alone those in Israel. It's so blatantly obvious. And, um, yes, it's very upsetting. I know you're upset about it uh, as well. Anybody out there who wants to join me in arranging a Kolekavod Latzal campaign? Actually, Malcolm's right. I don't even think of that. I keep thinking it's so much more important in Israel, but you're right. It should be worldwide. Why not? Uh, anywhere we live in comfort, luxury, um, it, it's all because of the Israeli And when army. you visit Israel, stop a soldier and just thank him. Yeah, especially if you're wearing a kippah. Let him know that... Uh, that there are plenty of people in our community who are appreciative. All right, Malcolm, thank you. Have a wonderful Have Shabbos a and Rosh Chodesh, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We call this the Weekly Update, Fridays only on JM in the AM.